Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 5, Episode... Oh, I messed up last episode. I said last episode was Episode 4, and it's actually Episode 6 this time. So that meant last episode was Episode 5. If you got this far, you figured it out. Yep. Anyways, this is Season 5, Episode 6, for May 9th, 2022. And today we're going to talk about PSUs, talk about Apple right to repair stuff, NVIDIA 4000 series GPUs. We got a bunch of tech, but we're also going to talk about some beer. So I wanted to kind of get us in started with the Gizmo Brew Works, which is a local Raleigh, North Carolina brewery. They uh, have their raspberry chocolate cakes milk stout. I grabbed this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and when I saw it, I just thought it, it signaled, let's talk about this in the podcast. So what it says about this is this is a delicious milk stout that is infused with generous amounts of cocoa nibs and raspberry puree. I am not speaking well. It's rich and creamy, smooth finish are attributed to fresh oats, chocolate malt, and lactose. It's just, it's one liner is rich, creamy, decadent. Let them drink cake. Uh, yeah. Anyways, what do you think, Ricky? Uh, not a fan. Of... Yeah, I've had quite a few sips. Not, not really a fan of this one. I'll say it's got a good color. It's got a good head to it. There is a certain amount of creaminess to the finish, but it doesn't really hit anything, I think, in this flavor profile. Doesn't taste like chocolate. There are some dark flavors, but mm-hmm. it's much closer to coffee than it yeah. is to chocolate. Maybe there's some fruitiness in there, but it is very bitter. So yep. I don't know. This tastes a lot more like like a coffee stout that was going for like a really dark coffee. You know, um, this isn't this isn't hitting me too well. So are you are you drinking yours out of the can or out of the glass? Um, I poured it into a glass. Right. Let, let me. Let I do me have a little glass in the can if you think it'll matter. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try from the can uh, before I say anything. No, it's pretty much the same. There's no difference between the two. Um, so this is seven percent ABV. Um beer by the way I, I forgot to mention that when we were talking through the thing for all of the things that it said and everything that i like about gizmo because they make a couple of my favorite beers for north carolina beers this one is a big miss on their part um, not because i don't necessarily like the beer it has a lot of the things that i like in stouts it does not do, just like you said, it does not do any of the things that it said it is going to do. That I can get like a stone fruit kind of flavor on the, if I let it just set on my tongue for a little bit, in the aftertaste. And there is like a dark chocolate kind of flavor in there too, but it's very, very faint. And I mean, raspberry is a faint flavor anyways, like trying to brew with it. It's, there's a lot of things that are hard to pull out those raspberry flavors, 
I just feel like they didn't really, this was a swing and a miss, you know? Yeah. Having had a couple more sips and now that like all of the head has pretty much disappeared from the pour, I will give it that without the head, it is not quite as bitter. There's a lot of bitterness in that foam, Mm -hmm. but uh, everything else still stands. Um, You know, it's not necessarily a terrible beer. No, it's like not a if bad you're beer. if you're like an IPA sort of person, you like that hoppy bitterness. You know, you probably like this. It's just when you look at the title and the picture, you know, it's got this nice big piece of cake with raspberries all over it, saying raspberry chocolate cake, and they're even gonna go as far as to say let them drink cake. If you just poured this in a mug and brought it to me, I'm not sure I could pick out any of those flavors. As I'm letting it warm up a little bit, because I I had to bring my beers up here, but mm-hmm. not straight from the fridge. As it has gotten more towards like a cellar temperature, it, it it in the aftertaste, I get some of that like the things that they're talking about. It doesn't taste like cake though. Like there is like a fruit flavor there, probably a little bit closer to like a. Um, it's not a raspberry. It's like a, a cherry flavor or something like that. The malt and the raspberries aren't really like playing well together mm-hmm. um, in this one. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's not a bad beer. I'll definitely drink the other two that I have of this. It's just, it's not what it advertises, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I'll I, back that up. It's not a terrible beer. Now, I'm not going to finish it. It's going in my not finished pile. It's not as good as the one you made. <laughs> yeah. But, you know... It, it, again, hits to that. If I was at a place, I was at a bar, and I really wanted a beer. I was with a bunch of people, and we were all drinking, so I felt like I should get a beer, too, and this is what I got. I'd sip on it. I wouldn't complain. I yeah. wouldn't, like, pass it around and be like, guys, are you tasting this? It's awful. You know, it's, it's you know, a perfectly acceptable beer profile. Um, I just don't think it hits the selling points in its own description. I agree with that. So... Now that we've lambasted that beer from one of my favorite breweries, and I hope you don't hate me, Gizmo. That's not a bad like beer. Beers. <laughs> I do like your I'll, beers. <laughs> I'll say it up to that. At least it's not brewed badly. You know, it doesn't have any off flavors or anything like that. Well, it's I just, think, you know. I, I, think it, I think it is brewed badly because it doesn't meet the description. But it's not brewed badly in that it tastes bad, you know? Yeah, you could sense. say it is not brewed greatly from an artistic standpoint of mm-hmm. like how you would rate like how food is cooked in terms of flavor uh, but mechanically of the beer brewing process they did that well yeah yeah I, I would agree with that so let's talk about the new atx standard that intel's pushing out um so one thing they're going to do they're going to put a 12 volt high power um rail on ATX power supplies. That's the standard mm-hmm. push out. Uh, and you've you've seen the article that I gave to you from Tom's Hardware that talks talks about this. Because um, I just I just looked up. I've I've seen multiple things about. It. I just thought it'd be interesting as people who are really into PC gaming, and we've been buying or making computers for a while. This is kind of like, you know a really crazy PSU standard from what I'm used to having. Mm-hmm. But I think it might solve some some issues, and it definitely is forward-thinking as graphics cards from NVIDIA and AMD are really 
starting to take a more um, ag aggressive power stance, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So the reason that I put it in, in this is I wanted to just kind of talk about from a perspective of what we have now and a perspective of where we're going, what does this kind of look like? You know, where does this fit in? Do, do you think we're, we're really going to move to this? Or do you think this is like some of the other things that Intel's put out and it's not really going to become the standard? Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like a really mixed bag for me. On one hand, the extra dedicated power for something like a graphics card, I, I think that's a little bit lost. Like when we look at where the hardware market is going, overall, not necessarily just graphics cards, it is this constant like sip less, sip less, sip less, be more powerful, take less energy, be more efficient, you know? And uh, we haven't necessarily seen that to graphics cards, but I would hope that that is where their market is eventually heading. Because, you know, we don't want to be constantly just sucking up all the electricity we can touch. Everyone's about trying to have like a smaller footprint. But the flip side to that is some of these other things that are in this spec, you know, it's bringing to like desktop PCs a lot of things that exist in like mobile setups and server setups that have this, you know, monitoring for performance and what percentage of this are you using, which is again, pushing it towards that optimization thing. So it seems like that kind of weird bag, right? It's like, we've got stuff that's going to help you optimize every little bit of power you have. Oh, but also we're going to include way more powerful for just this one thing that can just suck up all this extra energy now. Well, so I think, I think ultimately it's about being able to provide large amounts of power at a more efficient rate. Um, and if something like needs a spike in power for some reason, it can provide that. Um, I don't know about the sustained loads and things like that. There are a few of these that are actually out in the wild and a few um, motherboards that have actually gotten these connectors on them. So it seems like this is something that may be starting to be adopted within the industry. Um, and if that, as that happens, um, you know, the graphics cards are providing, um, are also providing the, the connector, the 12 volt connector that's needed. Uh, that seems to mean, from what I've been reading, that the graphics cards can get, or, or the or the CPU, or even the RAM, uh, can get the power like at, at a more efficient rate to it than they have with some of these more lossful technologies or lossy technologies that we've used in the past. I mean, even like a PSU that was uh, 300 watts or 400 watts from a older IBM PC is much less efficient than a modern day 600 watt power supply, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think they're trying to move that envelope more towards efficiency uh, and then providing those, you know, spike, uh, types of power needed to be able to do that. But that that doesn't necessarily mean that people that are making the other bits of hardware and, pro, and the developers that are developing the software that uses this stuff is going to use it in that way, right? Yeah. So I think, like you said, it's the, a double-edged sword. Yeah, this kind of screams to me the same thing we saw with, you know, larger amounts of RAM available on PCs to switch to 64-bit architecture. 
where like on paper all those things are great it's about look there's more room for stuff you can be more efficient you know you can have more things running at once and then it became look my web browser is taking up half my ram you know um i would hope that all these optimization things are what people really take to heart and we start seeing you know even as these graphics cards are getting really competitive they're not getting greedy with their power because you know the the average gaming computer now is you know it, it's sitting around like six eight hundred for most people. There's some systems that are larger. Like I remember when I was getting my computer built, I was expecting to have to have a much larger power supply than I did because so many parts have now become so much more efficient than they were four or five years ago when I got my uh, desktop before my my new one. So, you know, I hope they don't reverse that and say, look, hey, there's 600 watts available to me. I'm going to take all 600 watts and I'll have the best graphics ever as your computer is just sucking power down. Yep. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It's really not a bad standard. I mean, there's there's that potential in it to like, be abused. But overall, I think you're right. I think probably the intention behind it is we can do things a lot more efficiently. We can save more power necessarily than hey look now look at all this extra power we could use exactly but i think that it's ultimately going to become hey look at all this extra power that we can use yeah we'll see it'll because you know the the higher power consumption also generally leads to higher heats and that's also a thing people are trying to push back on they don't want to have to have these giant fan setups except for like enthusiast builds you know even the desktop market is now really trying to be the like look at how small we can get this look at how quiet we can get this so yeah, maybe maybe we'll go that way. But we'll see. It's certainly there's certainly enough there that if you told me, hey, look, this isn't what might get adopted. This is just it's already been decided. I wouldn't be upset about it. Yeah, it's it's pretty much already been decided from what I understand. It's not what might get adopted. It's either going to be you get the older standard or you get this. And the older standard is supposed to be phased out eventually. So let's talk about right to repair. Uh, we don't really talk about this too much, even though I am a proponent of that. Like, I I believe that you should be able to repair your stuff. Um, I do not like, uh, even though I own a few things that I can't repair, and that's just the way it is, I should be able to repair it if it's repairable, right? Mm-hmm. And I would rather buy something that I can repair if I have that option and repair it than buy something that's not repairable. So Apple has always kind of fought against that. Um, Their stance, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, is this is too dangerous for consumers to do. They're not skilled enough and necessarily uh, well-equipped enough to be able to do that. So if they're going to get something repaired, they need to just bring it to us and we'll repair it and then we'll decide if it's repairable or not um but since there's been a huge shift in that in the in the global um economies and um governments and legislators as well as uh the general populace have taken a different stance than apple has there and and many places like nintendo is kind of the same john deere is a company mm-hmm. that's the same way since they've taken a different stance um there's been some movement to placate that um now have you looked at this 
selfservicerepair.com uh, website. That no, I there. haven't. So go ahead and take a look at it uh, while I kind of just continue my spiel for a moment. Um, but so Apple came up with this thing. They released it, I think, just like the other day. Now, um, I saw a couple of news articles about it, and I threw it in this morning because I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. I think this would be a good thing to talk about. So they created this website. It's through a third party. Well, they contracted a third party to do this and then to, to be able to to make this uh, service for them. And if you look at a, at a, at a company like iFixit, who they're not perfect, don't have everything right, but they're who uh, companies like Steam and a couple other laptop manufacturers, or you look at Framework, the laptop company that lets you just completely take it apart and service the laptop itself. They have everything labeled. They have schematics. You can buy parts from them, stuff like that. There's some right ways to do this, right? And, they, and those are kind of the gold standards for being able to make that happen. Either partner with a well-known company that is already doing work and being able to repair electronics and older electronics or even just things like that and give them the tools and then allow them to create the stuff where they can either provide you a service or they can give you the knowledge that you need to be able to repair your kit or just make it your company just provides that stuff right and they completely provide it in a way that's very open and transparent so what's your opinion of this website um and, and the service that apple's providing uh, it's a little generic looking, in all honesty. Um, I mean, it looks like the same thing you can get almost anywhere else. And it doesn't address the real problem. Like, okay, ooh, I want to replace the, I, the battery on my iPhone 13. That's what I pulled up. I can buy a battery bundle kit recommended for, you know, 71 bucks. Okay, cool. That's great. Here's the problem you're still designing your equipment to be as hard to repair as possible. Yep. You know, yeah. These parts are available. I could have bought this battery bundle somewhere else really at any point, and it would have been totally okay. But it's, but the, it's not Apple certified. That's, that's the difference. It's not an Apple certified battery. Well, not genuine Apple parts. Yeah, I mean, but you, Apple part. half the time, sure it is. People buy phones that are broken and take out the good part. Oh yeah, I know. they're, they're I the know, exact same parts. Yeah, but I mean, the official Apple stance that is not an, that is not an official Apple part. That yeah. is a used Apple part. Yeah, it's 15 steps to get the battery replaced. It's another thir 15 to get the case back on. I'm assuming it was 15 to get the case back off. The mm -hmm. 45 step repair process to swap out a battery. When I remember a time where swapping out the battery on a phone took like 30 seconds. Yep, it was super back easy. Off. Just pop the put back it. off, take the battery out, put a new battery in, pop it back on. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't really go anywhere. And their argument's just silly to begin with. You know, look at way more dangerous things to repair yourself, like vehicles. No one's going to tell me I can't repair my own car. And well, if I go in, Tesla I build it. Tesla would say that you're not intelligent enough to repair your own vehicle. Yeah, an individual company was. But I'm, what I'm saying is, from a, from a standpoint of safety, if you walked in uh, into a, a bar and sat down and talked to somebody, 
and they saw a little oil on your hands, like, oh, what are you working on? You say, oh, I was working on my car. They're not going to say, oh, my gosh, are you a mechanical engineer? That's amazing. Saying, how do you know how to do that? Are you saying that Elon is not the, not the god of men that he, it, he makes Anyone who tells you you can't repair something yourself is foolish. <laughs> I don't care if I break it. Like there was, I did laptop repair for a long time. I broke my share of laptops while fixing them. And I was 100% okay in the days of, hey, if you're not licensed to do this, you know, once you take this tape off, warranty, you know, the warranty is void. You know, any damage you do is damage you've done. You got to own that. Sure, that's 100% okay. Cuz I can get that. You know, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to start putting you know, parts around, touching stuff with screwdrivers, scraping things up. That's not the company's responsibility to replace anymore if I did the damage. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go in and say, okay, but apart from all that, that you have to own up to any damage you do, I'm just also going to make it as likely as possible that you do damage because of how hard it is to do this thing. You know, that just doesn't fly. I can go rebuild the engine on my car. If I mess it up, my car might explode on the highway. If that happens, no one comes in and says, oh my gosh, what could we have done to protect this poor man who blew himself up in his car accident? They'd say, who is this idiot that tried to take their engine apart and put it back together and they didn't know what they were doing? So I'm actually going to say that there are some lawyers and legislators that are making arguments just like that to Congress about how people that repair their vehicles and the likelihood that your car will explode or blow up, but you know, not work properly is, is high, but they make it out like, uh, you know, it's just going to explode and it's going to kill people on the highway. And there's going to be this, you know, catastrophe. Um, I don't know that people are necessarily listening to them, but those same arguments are what's being used for farm equipment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're saying it, but people don't buy it. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, you know, there's, there's always going to be bad actors. Mm -hmm. Like Congress will hear every side of a story. You know, there's people that are telling you, hey, you shouldn't have the right to free speech because it does X thing. And really what we should have is this because they're, they're playing some angle on it that profits them. Right. But the average person, like if you sit down, and you see somebody who's popped the back of their uh, their phone off and is doing something with it. The other person watching does not see that as a dangerous act. You know, you see a guy on the parking lot replacing their oil. That's not a dangerous act. There's no safety concern here. Yes, you can mess it up. Yes, you can cause damage. And yes, I mean, potentially somebody could get hurt if things mess up really bad. But nowhere really in the world at least, you know, that I'm aware of, are the average person saying, hey, I shouldn't be allowed to repair something. These decisions are getting made by these companies that have a vested interest in making you pay them to get something fixed. Yeah. I think, I think it comes a little bit uh, to, to a little bit of a different standpoint when you're talking about something like an Apple. Um, there are people out there who, if Apple says it, they will, it, in general, po- the general populace, you know, the same people that are like, you know, I, I buy iPhones because they just work, or the design language is important to me, or, you know, whatever, right? I mean, I, 
I use Apple products. It's not like I don't. I just I'm not delusional either. But I'm not so I'm not saying that every person that uses these products is silly. But your you know what you're saying, one hundred percent correct. Um, well, at least as far as the 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 rights and what probably most people think, um, because believe it or not. Most people don't own or are sycophants for these things, but there is a vocal minority that are, um, that, that, you know, they, they are just into the black collar cult that live in a spaceship, you know, um, and they, they buy this stuff up and they go out and they kind of promote it. Um, so I would expect those people to, you know, talk about how great the service is. And the average person is probably going to use a service like this anyways, because they're not going to want to deal with the hassle of fixing the phone, right? But for someone like me or you, who's technically inclined and also skilled to do some of these things, we probably would. And I think we're the people that get hit the most or the small business that makes their living like Lewis Rosman's business is from New York, where they specifically fix Apple products because people don't want to pay the, they don't have the money to pay Apple's exorbitant fees to do this. So one thing that you didn't pick up is that, yeah, that kit is $71, but you also have to spend another uh, $100, I think, to rent the uh, disassemble device. There's like a heat pad thing that you have to rent that allows you to take the phone apart. Uh, or the laptop apart, or whatever it is that you're having to take apart that's, you know, this thing that Apple has. And that's that's the real crux of it. You might save like $10 or $30 um, on this, but it's almost as expensive as, or roughly the same price, as going in and having Apple do this for you uh, without Apple Care. Gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't able to get far enough into the process. I don't have an Apple device, I think, to get that far. Because as yeah. soon as you try to add it to cart, you got to start giving them the serial number and stuff like that. Yep. You know. Yep. So that, that there's like a whole bunch of, of BS right in this, uh, taking freedoms away from people and stuff like that. I'm I'm thoroughly against it. I think. Yeah. This, I mean, this actually hurts right to repair more than it. It's it's like giving a, um lip service to write to repair while just stabbing it in the back essentially yeah like it doesn't really fall like because you know i think also a lot of right to repair when people are talking about it doesn't hit on that like how things are designed you know uh sure like i just had my phone repaired i paid somebody else to do it i didn't want to take the yep. time to do it myself especially because between buying the parts i need and then doing the work it was like 40 bucks difference i'm not going to do it myself for 40 bucks yep you know but when when it gets down to this point that like anybody who's been repairing technology over the past couple of decades has seen how much harder and harder and harder it is getting to do it yourself, and it's not from a hey you know someone's gonna come busting down your door because you did something that was dangerous. It's a look this thing is designed in a way it's not meant to be taken apart again, and if you do, you're really likely to damage it. So you know. That's really almost what I would want to get addressed more. 
like if you want to say sure i void your warranty and i don't have a genuine apple product anymore if i go and i swap the battery out myself sure whatever i don't i don't care what you think apple but if you're going to spend millions of dollars in research and engineering to make it so that taking that battery out is a 45 step process you know that's the bigger problem yeah uh, oh no i i like i said you're 100% correct yeah. about that i think there's right to repair and sustainability of products right yeah and that's those are the two topics that we're talking about here and um we had it at one point you know you could get a computer or an electronic device or something like that that while it was small you could bust it open you know i talk about ipods and me repairing them all the time right you could bust it open and take like a fifth gen ipod but once you start getting to a certain point that becomes unfeasible mm -hmm. um replacing the battery the batteries are soldered on they're not like a disconnect clip they they became smaller but not so much smaller that they were um you know better necessarily and the longevity of those products actually has gone down um so i mean you're 100 percent right like that sustainability is not there and there's no there's no intention to allow people to repair it so any service that you do to being, uh, you know, environmentally friendly, to being responsible, to any of that stuff, if your design aesthetic um, is all about form and uh, there's little function or there's function that's focused on, you know, like people having a good experience, but everything else is not about them continuing to be able to be responsible or sustainable, then you're leaving like a huge part of this like category of things that you said that you were doing out. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I completely, I completely agree with you. I think one of the shames of it is though, that they're, they're putting this out there to say, Hey, look at how, uh, look at how, look at how great we are. You know, we, we're standing up and, and, and we really care about right to repair. And I think that's the bigger, that, that's where I was going with the, the harm that it causes. Yeah, that's it's, very it's, true. It, it's, it's harming that, that, that concept. They're being two-faced about it. Yeah, they've made a clone of the websites they say do damage and say, see here, we're supporting it. We're going to do the same thing, but slightly worse. And that makes it better. Yes, exactly. Well, on that very sad note, um, I think we're done with this episode. <laughs> the episode where last time I said it was episode four, but actually this time it's episode six, but last time it was episode five, and I was just wrong. So this has been season five, episode six of the Beer and Broadband podcast, and hopefully you'll like want to follow us on Twitter or patreon or something like that and engage with us in some way maybe give us some ideas about things that you want us to talk about because we'd love to hear that otherwise thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time